Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is John, and uh, I'm one of the members here. I'm part of the preaching team that we have. Uh, our pastor, David, asked if uh, we would start a new series this week, and uh, so it's my joy to introduce the first of this series. Here's a question that I have to ask, though, and uh, we'll see who may have a prophetic answer to this. In the world of Brexit, what's going to happen in the next week? <laughs> it's been fascinating over months now uh, when all the political pundits are being interviewed and the news presenter asks, you know, the political advisor, what's going to happen? And the same answer is given. <laughs> Day after day, week after week, we don't know. What's going to happen 700 years from now? That's a harder question, isn't it? Today we are starting a short series from a part of the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament in which the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, predicts with incredible accuracy what's going to happen to him. That's amazing, isn't it? If you need some reasons for saying this book, this Bible, is inspired and inspiring, there's a very good reason to start with, not just Isaiah, but other prophets as well, speaking long, long before Jesus, not just a day or a week, or a month, but 700 years in Isaiah's case, and he sees something that is quite incredible. And that's what we're going to explore. Those who've been in, in Pitlochry in recent months, we've been galloping through the book of Ezekiel uh, with nine sermons covering the whole 48 chapters. Over the next few weeks before Easter and then a few weeks after Easter, we're going to do something quite good, different. We're going to go for a walk, a slow walk through one part of Isaiah. So can you turn, please, to chapter 52 in Isaiah? Ian Walker is going to come and read this to us now. Um, I'm not sure the page number in the church Bible, but Ian will tell us that as he reads for us. Okay, so reading is from Isaiah chapter 52, and in the Pew Bibles is page 739. Here is the word of the Lord. Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. O Jerusalem, the holy city, the circumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately Syria has oppressed them, and now what do we have here, declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. 
all day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up their voices. Together they will shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people and has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out of here, there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. The suffering of the glory of the servant. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond any human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Ian. Like Ezekiel, Isaiah prophesied that the people of God would go into exile. Um, like Ezekiel, Isaiah saw that a day was coming when God would bring his people back from exile and return them to their land, but more importantly, restore them to a relationship with him. Um, like Ezekiel, Isaiah had messages of hope and salvation, even though the immediate future was one of judgment and God's action that would not be welcomed by a people who would be exiled for a time. And when we come to the second part of the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 to 66, you read four songs in that uh, section of Isaiah that are called the servant songs uh, in chapter 42, 49, 50, and 52, the very end of it, from verse 13 through to the end of chapter 53, is the fourth servant song. And it's that servant song that we're going to be thinking about over the next weeks. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Urquhart Castle on the shores of Loch Ness. Um, I can highly recommend it for a visit. If you go to Urquhart Castle, this, this might sound like a spoiler, but it won't actually spoil it for you, I can assure you. When you go in at first, you buy your ticket to go to the castle. You can't see the castle from the visitor center. 
And they say, you've got to go and see the audiovisual first before you're allowed down to the castle. So you're shown into the lecture theater, um, a modern lecture theater with fairly steep sloping seats with a huge screen. And behind the screen that you're looking at is uh, black curtains all the way along behind the screen. So you watch the audiovisual that tells a wee bit about the story of Urquhart Castle. And it's a very good audiovisual. It's quite vivid. And they tell you when you go in, you're not allowed to stand up until indicated by one of the staff. So you've got to remain seated. When the audiovisual finishes, you remain in your seats. And then the screen lifts up electronically into the storage space. And the black curtains open up from the center out. And suddenly, you're looking down on this incredible panoramic view of Urquhart Castle. We've seen this twice, and you still gasp. It's as if they're saying, you've heard the, the story, you've seen pictures of the past, and now here it is. Behold, Urquhart Castle. When Isaiah wrote his servant songs, especially the one we're looking at starting today, it's a bit like that. It's as if God takes the curtains and He pulls them back and He says, Behold, but it's not Urquhart Castle we're seeing. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the servant of the Lord. Isaiah spoke about the people of Israel being intended to be God's servant collectively. They were to serve the purpose of God, but repeatedly they failed in that task. And so God says, I will send my servant, my individual servant, who will fulfill all that the people collectively failed to do. And my servant will do everything that I have indicated. So as we look at this servant song, imagine those curtains being drawn back and these words of invitation, behold, my servant. The servant song begins in verse 13 of chapter 52. And the image that I want to use uh, for this servant or an image of Jesus with his hands reaching out. You can see if you look closely the marks in his hand where the nails were. But this, this image of coming as the servant of the Lord, behold my servant. Verse 13 of chapter 52 starts the song that goes to the end of chapter 53. And incidentally, if you've got a fairly modern version that doesn't have this in kind of poetic setting, it's missing something because it was a song. It was intended to be like that, poetic, song-like. So if you've got it just in prose, it's actually missing something that was there in the original and that's intended to, to capture us and to draw us in. And the invitation in verse 13 is this, 
See my servant, or behold, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. The introduction to this song has three descriptions of the servant of the Lord. The first is this. Should come up any second. Do you want to bring it up for me, Rona? Thank you. He's the exalted servant. My servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. It's almost as if Isaiah goes to the end in order to understand what's happening early on in the experience of the servant. He's going to be highly exalted. Uh, in fact, some of the words that are used in a, an, an older version of the New International Version capture this well. He will be lifted up. He will be raised. He will be high. And Isaiah is using language to talk about the servant of God who's going to come, who will be exalted. Now, that in itself is almost an oxymoron. You all know what that means, don't you? <laughs> A contradictory phrase, because servants are not exalted. Servants are in the background. Servants do their job well when you don't notice them. When you notice a servant, it's rather unservant-like. But Isaiah says, quoting from God, my servant will be exalted. How can that happen? He will be wise. He will prosper. He will be high and raised up and lifted. And I wonder when Isaiah said that, if he was reflecting back on his own experience, when he was called to be a prophet, he records it in chapter 6 of his book. And he talks about going into worship in the temple in Jerusalem one day, and he said it was the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had reigned for about 50 years. It was a golden era in Israel, and now the king had died. And Isaiah goes to the temple to worship, and as he worships in the temple, he has a vision of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and exalted, and his robe filled the temple. Deirdre led us in some confession earlier, and that's what Isaiah did when he saw this vision of God. He said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. And in his vision, an angel brings uh, a burning coal from the altar of God and touches him and says, you're cleansed, your sin is forgiven. And then God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me, here I am wholly available. That was the start for Isaiah. So, I wonder when he sees in his servant song, the servant of the Lord being exalted, was he recalling his vision, that momentous day in the temple when God grabbed hold of Isaiah's life in a way that would change everything for him, his future, his destiny, his hopes and dreams, everything shifted that day. It's a dangerous thing 
to come and worship God. Did you realize that? You never know what's going to happen. Things can take place in the presence of God that you never expected. So, that's a health health awareness warning for this morning. My servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. And are there echoes here of Jesus when He comes and in Mark's gospel He says, I'm not here as one who comes to be served, but I come to serve. And when His disciples are arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, He takes a little child and lifts this child up and says, whoever humbles himself like this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, says Luke. And in John's gospel, the image that we had from some weeks ago when Roy washed John's feet here on the platform, Jesus in chapter 13 in John On the night before his crucifixion, he takes a towel and a basin, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples, apparently including Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. This is the servant of the Lord. And this is the one that the Apostle Paul speaks about in Philippians chapter 2 in that incredible New Testament hymn, your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though He was God, He did not demand and cling to His rights as God. He made Himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, He obediently humbled Himself to death, even death on a cross. So, when Isaiah talks about an exalted servant, the Lord's servant, our thoughts go lightning fast from 700 years before Jesus to the events in His life and to the last events in the weeks leading up to Easter and His sacrifice on Good Friday and His resurrection on Easter Sunday. And we see embodied in Jesus all that servanthood truly means, and the ultimate servanthood of the Son of God who lays down His life for us, that like Isaiah, we might be cleansed and renewed and find forgiveness and hope and healing for the future. God's exalted servant, behold my servant, The second description, I'll let you change it, Rona, is the suffering servant. This is verse 14. Here's the NIV version of verse 14. Many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And here's how it's translated. Uh, in the New Living Translation, many were amazed when they saw him, beaten and bloodied, so disfigured, one would scarcely know he was a person. The servant is exalted in verse 13, but first, the servant of the Lord has to suffer. 
And the whole focus of these last weeks of Lent uh, leading up to Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. And on this day in particular, which is often known in many parts of the world as Passion Sunday, the focus as we journey with Jesus is to realize what He was going to. He set His face to go to the cross, and nothing would detract Him from that. Nothing would dissuade Him from pursuing what God had laid in His heart that his life had to be laid down for others. And that's what Jesus did. God's way of exaltation is first his way of humiliation. He humbled himself and became obedient. This is downward mobility in the plan of God. This is the humbling the identifying with sinners, the horrors of the cross, and all it meant for Jesus. I don't know if any of you have seen the film, The Passion of the Christ. I've never uh, watched this film for two reasons. <laughs> One is, I'm not good with gory stuff. Uh, my wife is a nurse, so she loves the kind of programs where you know, you're looking at things in detail, operations or children being born, and I just like to see them afterwards, you know, and thank God that they've arrived safely. But I know I'm not good with gory things. But I've often thought, should I steal myself and actually watch the film? And I've decided not to. For a second reason, and it's this. Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ, is a kind of blow-by-blow exploration of the suffering of Jesus. And it's gory. I've seen images from it. It's extremely gory and violent. And he's trying to show the reality of the scourging and the crucifixion of Jesus. But my reason for not watching it, uh, my second reason, is because I think films like that can do something that the Bible never actually does. The Bible is much more interested in why this is happening and what's happening in here rather than the kind of reality TV or film approach to say, well, let's, let's look at the, the physicality of it. It's awful. It's terrible. Crucifixion was abominable. But thousands of others were crucified and scourged by the Romans. Why? Why this death? Is it so different from all the others? What makes it unique? And you come to the very core of the gospel message that's spelled out in chapter 53, the next part of the servant song, that here is a Son of God giving Himself for us. Behold my servant, my suffering servant, my servant who takes to himself the suffering of humanity, who enters fully into it, who plumbs the depths of darkness that we will never ever experience. Here's my servant who says, quoting the words of Psalm 50, 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And in that moment on the cross, something happens to Jesus that has never been his experience. His intimate relationship with his Father is severed, and he's alone, completely alone in his anguish. You can never capture that visually. There's something far too deep, far too profound, and and truly earth-shattering that's going on in the suffering of Jesus. And that's why when Isaiah describes his face being so disfigured uh, and his appearance such that you could look at him and say, "Is, is he really human? He's trying to capture something that's beyond language and image and vision. He's trying to take us into the heart of this gospel that we sometimes treat in a very cheap way. But in actual fact, the depth of this is so profound, so earth-shaking, and so awful and yet wonderful at the same time. Graham Kenrick has written some great hymns. This is a hymn book, remember these? (laughs) And here's one of the great hymns that he wrote. Come and see, come and see. Come and see the King of love. See the purple robe and crown of thorns he wears. Come and weep. Come and mourn for your sin that pierced him there so much deeper than the wounds of thorn and nail. All our pride, all our greed, all our fallenness and shame, and the Lord has laid the punishment on him. Behold my servant, says God, my suffering servant, And this man-made period of Lent can actually be a very useful time to take the invitation of Graham Kendrick and say, we want to come and see, we want to stop, we want to walk slowly and focus on what's happening and why it's happening. Then the third image that's in these verses is the image of the universal Savior, Verse 15 is a wee bit awkward to try and uh, translate properly from the, the Hebrew. Uh, and so the, the, the versions we have do the best they can with it. Does it say he will startle many nations in verse 15? Or does it say he will cleanse many nations? Probably both are captured in the word that's translated there. You get the image that, that people from all over the world are somehow gathering around a servant. He is the the servant of the Lord with universal application to every society, to every culture. The gospel, when it's it's, uh, transliterated, as it were, when it's put into the context of that culture, the gospel has universal application to every society, to every nationality, without exception on the face of the earth. Where does power lie? 
Well, around the cross of Jesus, you might say the power lies with the Romans, ultimately, or with the Jewish leaders who championed the cause of crucifixion for Jesus. But the power lies ultimately with the Lord who's on the cross, says the Bible. The power, the authority, lies with the servant of the Lord who gives himself to redeem us, who enters into our sin and becomes sin for us. And the New Living Translation version of verse 15 captures this well when it says, kings will stand speechless in His presence, for they will see what they had not previously been told about. They will understand what they had not heard about. And that seems to me to capture the essence of this verse. The exalted servant who suffers before his exaltation is also the one whom God has brought to be the Savior, the universal Savior. doesn't mean that everyone will be saved, but that He's a Savior for every group of people, for every individual who turns to Him, no matter their background, no matter their ethnicity. He is the universal Savior. And the kings who previously thought that they had the authority and the power will be startled. They will stand amazed as they see what God has done through the sacrifice of His servant. And that's the overview of the servant song, and it will be spelled out in a bit more detail over the next weeks, a couple of weeks before Easter and a few weeks after Easter. When we, Rosemary and I, were in Bridge of Dawn, we were there for 12 years um, serving the Lord there. And one of the highlights in Bridge of Dawn was the inter-church relationships we had with other congregations, ministers who would meet to pray every two weeks. And every Holy Week, we had a series of services, Monday through to Friday of Holy Week, short meditation services for about 45 minutes. Um, and then it led to a big celebration on Easter Sunday evening when we would have hundreds of people together praising uh, the Lord and rejoicing in His victory. But during Holy Week, we would quite literally be following in the footsteps of Jesus. And we had a wooden cross uh, in the church in Bridge of Dawn. It would be about my height, a, a little bit higher. And one day when I was praying and, and thinking and asking for God's blessing, I really felt God saying, I want you to walk from your church to the church where these services are being held, carrying the cross on your own. And so I did it. I went up early. I got the cross out. And Bridge of Dawn is quite a busy, bustling place. People walking in the streets, traffic going up and down. And I put this cross on my shoulder and walked for about a mile, uh, carrying it on my shoulder. I wondered uh, how it would feel. It was a very interesting experience. And in some way, I felt a very little sense of how did Jesus feel carrying His cross. But you know the interesting thing? I'd only planned to do it one evening. I think it was a Thursday evening 
when we're having communion Monday, Thursday. Um, but so many people noticed that, that they said, can we do it tomorrow night, and can we come with you? So the next night, there were 30 to 40 people turned up, all wanting to walk, carrying the cross. The one had suddenly become many. It wasn't planned. I take no credit for that. I was simply doing something I felt God laid in my heart. But somehow that touched others, and one became many. And when we see the servant of the Lord and what he's done, it's one man giving himself for the sins of the world, but a sinless man, the anointed servant of the Lord. And from his one sacrifice, there will come many. He will cleanse, he will startle many nations. Something happened with that servant and with what he did that is still reverberating through all of the universe today. And our presence here is part of that. And it's not finished yet. There's more to come. This is the servant of the Lord. And we're going to sing as we close this sermon these words from Graham Kendrick again. This is our God the servant king. He calls us now to follow him. And that's his call to us, to walk in his footsteps, to identify with him and say, Jesus, we are yours. We want to belong to you.